Well, Keith, here we are. We've made it. 100 episodes. I, you know, I got to tell you something. Never thought we'd make it this far. Yeah, I figured, uh, you know, before we got to 100 episodes, you know, I'd be in therapy. You'd be doing softcore porn somewhere. I mean, I, I never thought we'd make it this far. But we've had a lot of great moments, a lot of great debates, you know, Kirk versus Picard. Uh, well, we haven't tackled Star Wars versus Star Trek yet, but just so many great moments, so many geeky debates. So many Ted Cruz jokes. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Keith Conrad and Elliot Serrato. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say, get a life. Geek Counter Geek number 100. I'm Keith Conrad, Elliot Serrato over there. Elliot, um, you know, 100, that's a, that's a big milestone. Uh, I, I, it's a little like my uh, car odometer that just rolled over to 90,000 miles, I think. Holy crap, 90,000. I mean, I, I was just say, where would our, where's our odometer? I'm, when we put this, uh, this little podcast together, did we really think we'd make it this far? Because I'll be honest with you, I, this is probably one of the longest relationships I've ever kept. <laughs> you, you know, honestly, me too. <laughs> that, you know, uh, uh, 100, that's... Uh, yeah, that's roughly uh, roughly two years. I mean, I, I know there's been uh, there, there's been a week or two we've uh, we've ended up having to take off, but uh, that's that's pretty close to two years. That that yeah, that's kind of impressive. Yeah, I mean, well, I think you know, for for our listeners, realize that. I mean, most of the time when we do these podcasts, we're not really in the room together. You know, it's all the the magic of of Skype and 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 um, digital. You know digital audio but there have been times when you and i you know have been in a room together whether it's in a in a radio station or or somewhere and um you know it it, it maybe that's the secret maybe the the secret to relationship is just stay away from each other absence yeah. does make the heart grow fonder fonder or helps you tolerate each other more i'm going to tell you something i give major props to anyone who will date me for an extended period of time because i live with myself and even i get tired of myself so you know props props <laughs> to all y'alls out there who put up with me I, I if i don't say it enough i'm saying it now on this podcast i uh yeah i i have the same problem i uh you know i, I i'm like you know, it's so difficult for me to live with me. Why would I want to bring somebody else into this into this nightmare? <laughs> Pretty much. Why, why would you do that to anyone? I think that's... Yeah, I, I like, like people too much. Yeah, there's a thing in the Constitution against that. You know, I, like, I, I'm pretty sure there is. I mean, I, I know uh, I know it doesn't quite carry the weight that it used to sometimes, but, uh, <laughs> but yes, there is. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, 100, 100. Uh, I'm really quite jazzed about that. You know, um, I remember when you uh, when you talked to me about doing this podcast, I remember when we first started, it was just us on our own. And, um, you know, just an idea. We thought, you know, we could have these talks about different topics. And and then along the way, the, the radio uh, misfit podcast network took us on and made me feel legit. <laughs> 
you know i mean you're yeah, like it's, Mr. it's pretty cool to have uh to have somebody else actually uh promoting the heck out of you yeah really you know like you're mr big time you know radio producer you know you deal with you know radio types you're i mean for folks who don't realize keith is the one who kind of makes this seem professional <laughs> kind of professional <laughs> kind of you know, I mean, and, and the only reason I say kind of is because you you put me into the mix, and, <laughs> and I just I just bring it down. But you know, um, it's been it's been fun. No, it's been a lot of fun. Well, I I think you, I think you give us the uh, the street cred because uh, like like I I the sort of person where uh, if I if I see a movie or a TV show, um, you know, and I hate it. I, I still won't want to say all that much bad about it because I'm like, oh, you know, a lot of people worked hard on that. <laughs> you're like, you're like, um, you're like that aunt, you know, you see your favorite nephew's drawing that, you know, he says it's a tree, but it doesn't look anything like a tree, but you're like, oh, that is such a nice, uh, elm that you do. And then you put it on the fridge and, you know, you're still like nice about it, but you know, no, it's not an elm that's supposed to be you. <laughs> so. You know, so yeah, you're you're much nicer about it. I, I will say this. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Um, from the beginning, I was really the snarky one in the group, in this duo of ours. I was kind of like the one constantly, you know, pet poking at things and being like um, cynical. And, and I you, guess you like, weren't being cynical. You were trying to get them to raise their game. That's all you were trying yeah, to do. Yeah, damn it. And then somewhere along the way, I kind of mellowed out. And, you know, I started being like, oh, okay. And then it's funny because... And, and look, it, what the, look what the constant barrage of criticism did for Star Trek Discovery. Yes! Look at that. Look at that. Well, okay, we'll get to that. But, you know, I mean, because a lot of times it started... I remember when we, were, we, were, we started this podcast and we wanted to call it Geek Counter Geek because um, I remember, we thought that there would be a lot of, like you and I would be disagreeing on a lot of things. I mean, I remember in the beginning when you and I would just first start talking, we always did have kind of like the flip side to each other on a view of things. But it's like the more we talked, it seemed like we synced up a little bit more. And it, we, we, always had to, we always had to like almost like fight to fight. Just for the sake of having something to fight about. Yeah, just for the sake, yeah, just like for the sake of living up to the name of the podcast. <laughs> but if you go back and you listen to the podcast over the two years we've been doing this, it's kind of like been geek, counter geek, then it's just geek. <laughs> Not a whole lot of countering because we're like, yeah, you know, you're right. <laughs> well, you, you know, we, we have been uh, we, we have been talking a little bit about uh, about, you know, the the, the future of, of geek counter geek. And I know that. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to have the big uh, Dishing Bitches uh, uh, crossover. Uh, is that uh, Dishing Geeks or Geeky Bitches? I forget. I like Geeky Bitches now that uh, I think yeah, about that, it. Yeah, that works. Or, 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 or it could be Bitch Counter Bitch. Oh, I like that. That, that works. You know, that, you know, that, that might be a good uh, name for them to consider, you know, if they ever decide <laughs> they want to do some rebranding. Really? Because, you know, you listen to them talk, and there are times when they agree, and then there are times when they go back and forth. So, you know, it's it, it's it's been fun. But anyway, the 100 uh, 100 episodes, Keith, that, you know, which uh, also this could have been 101 were it not for the lost episode, the fabled 
lost episode episode yeah that that uh, I, I think that still exists somewhere but um, somewhere. yeah somewhere out there in the ether and it's kind uh, of like the ghost ship that johnny depp is always looking for in um pirates of the caribbean right yeah um so uh yeah maybe one day you know that'll be the geek counter geek christmas special the christmas special uh Sorry. so it, it's uh yeah, uh, you know, like I said, we're going to have the uh, the crossover with uh, with the the, uh, uh, the dishing bitches, and uh, I think uh, you know in the in the future, I I wouldn't mind uh, you know bringing in some some more people, maybe some uh, some of our fellow radio misfits uh, uh, people and uh, and and others as well. Oh yeah, no, I'd love the I'd love to have you know again, of course, the dishing bitches, which I'm actually friends with a couple of them. So I mean, this is not like a reach. I mean, they're they're great gals. They have strong opinions, and they love they listen to our show. I listen to theirs. The, it's this like the mutual admiration club. Um, yeah, I'd love to talk to some other folks. Uh, of course, um, I've been on. Um, on um, uh, John Clark's uh, caffeinated comics, it would be kind of cool to have a uh, a uh, geek counter geek caffeinated comics round table, like all four of us all together in a room to to do a talk. Oh, that'd um, be fun! Yeah, you know, maybe a, a geeky minutia. Geeky minutia, yes. Which, which sounds men. like a which sounds like a, a performer of some kind, like uh, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Geeky Minutia. Geeky Minutia. Oh, also, and I'm going to say it now because um, I'm going to I'm going to advertise it now because I've kind of had a crush on her for the longest time. But uh, Vicky Eisenstein, who's been on Losano and Sons, okay, uh, and Losano and Friends—they're not a furniture Friends. company. Well, I, I I think I was like Tony Losano, man. He's cranking those kids out, and they're all like his agent now. Losano Friends. He's had Vicky Eisenstein on there. I would. I wonder if he wouldn't mind loaning her to us. Uh, I've I've met uh, Vicky a couple times when I've been on uh, Losano and his friends. Yeah. And uh, she's she's a very nice uh, young lady. And um, you know, not to not to spoil anything, but uh, I'm working on another project that she just might be involved in. So, who, who knows? All right. So hey, that that would be great. I would love. I would love to. Uh, I would love to make that a make make that a thing. Yeah, I so, I could see that yeah. happening. Awesome. Uh, so so it's very good to be uh, Elliot and Keith after a hundred episodes, but it's also very good to be Andy Weir. So do you, do you know the story about uh, like how The Martian came to be as a book and a, and a movie? Because it's really interesting because he uh, you know originally it was just a bunch of like log entries for uh, for Mark Watney that. Uh, that Andy Weir posted on his uh, on his blog, you know, like a like a fictional log entry sort of thing, and it did really well. And people said, "Hey, you know, you should turn that into a book." So he did, and he basically just you know turned the uh, the the log entries that he had into a into an ebook that people could buy, and it, and it did really 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 well. And uh, suddenly people are are saying, "Hey, you know, you should make a, make a screenplay out of that." And he actually signed the deal to to make a movie out of The Martian, uh, like the same week that he signed the book deal to actually publish the book. So um, it it really like like just came out of nowhere. And so now he's actually published his second book. It's coming out in November, I think uh, November fourteenth, and they've already signed a deal to make a movie out of the thing. 
Andy Weir, I mean, here's the thing about Andy Weir that um, folks who aspire to be writers um, might not necessarily realize. First, Andy Weir, um, Stephanie Meyer, uh, the pseudonym for the gal who wrote the um, Fifty Shades of Grey film uh, books, I forget. E.L. James. Uh, E.L. James. Now, why did I know that off the top of my head? (laughs) Yeah, really? Wow. Uh, uh, That's the equivalent of hitting the lottery. I mean, there was like everything came together kind of like, as they say, in a perfect storm of public awareness, uh, PR and and desire from a publisher. Because I know a lot of really good writers who have taken that, you know, that uh, that path, you know, like Mm -hmm. Andy Weir did, you know, putting their books online for people to read on a dedicated site, hoping that they will get, you know, uh, you know, public, uh, you know, public attention and, and a desire to have the whole thing collected into into an edition that publishers would be willing to to put out. Um, but that doesn't always happen. And, you know, the fact that it happened for Andy Weir and again, E.L. James and Stephanie Meyer, that's really more the exception to the rule than the actual rule. Yeah, so, like, like you couldn't decide. You know what? I, I'm going to follow the Andy Weir model, you know, as far as uh, getting my, my stuff published, because there's probably about a ninety nine point nine 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 percent chance uh, nobody's going to, you know, like if, if you posted like a chapter at a, at a time on uh, on, on your blog, 90 percent uh, chance nobody's actually going to read it other than the people, you know, other than the couple dozen people that already read your blog. Yeah, like your grandma, your aunt. Right. You know, exactly. says, oh, that's such a great that's such a great book that you're uh, writing. You really, you know. But, but his, I'm going uh, to put, uh, put, put that chapter next to the to the drawing that you did of that tree for me back in the second grade. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it still wasn't a tree. It was you. It was you. <laughs> Uh, so, so this book, he actually wrote, uh, you know, really the, the more traditional way, uh, you know, it was a novel from the beginning and it's called Artemis and it's about a 20 something that's living in, uh, living in a a city on the moon and she's very disgruntled about it. And the directors will actually be Phil Lord and Chris Miller. So it's nice to see them land on their feet. (laughs) Oh no. It's going to be a situational comedy then. Well, I, I, I was I was wondering about that because you know yeah it's a it's a twenty something so I, I would assume it's it's sort of aimed at a you know young adult sort of Hunger Games sort of thing, but they tend to do you know basically just just buddy comedies and that's that's why things soured on Star Wars. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out, but uh, mm-hmm. you know um, you know they probably knew that going into it so. You know, it may just be a different kind of story from him. I guess we'll find out when the when the book actually comes out in November. But uh, congratulations, you know, really to all of them. Uh, Andy Weir for, for let, you know, getting another book off the ground, no pun intended. And uh, Lord and Miller for actually landing work again. So now that everybody else is going to try to, again, you're going you're to try to do the... Um, take the Andy Weir route, the E.L. James route, the Stephanie Meyer route... Uh, Look out for my uh, new series of of erotic political fiction, you know, that will be coming out soon in um, online. Uh, I have to I have to come up with a pseudonym, though. 
I, you know, I think that's definitely a genre that, uh, you know, it's just, just, just waiting to pop. Really? I mean, remember, remember absolute power? Oh yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That was, that started out as like, um, erotic fiction, you know, in the very beginning, it's a, the whole thing about, a uh, a president doing some naughty stuff. And then later on it, you know, comes back after him, you know, hey, look out. So when when Elliot's new uh, thriller comes out, uh, there will of course be an audiobook that I hope you'll let me produce. Um, I, I, and I want I want Vicky Eisenstein to read it. I, obviously, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and but but when the audiobook comes out, you'll want to listen to it on brand new headphones and accessories from Tweaked Audio. Tweaked Audio with lots of features, uh, different designs and colors. I'm telling you, go to the site. Go to tweakedaudio.com. You're going to see what they have. And then these are these are great um, 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 headphones, earbuds, okay? Headphones and earbuds, stylish, different colors, different features, mic'd and non-mic'd versions. They even have the Bluetooth wireless version. Uh, really cool DJ. Uh, we, they're called... Um, Head cans, you know, the kind that you put over your ears, um, stylish, colorful, uh, good for gaming, good for uh, using on your wire, on your uh, phone, on your MP3 player. Um, you can uh, co-op game with them, answer phone calls, listen to podcasts, have Keith and me coming at you in each ear. And if you enter the code GCG at checkout, you'll get 30% off and free worldwide shipping. And, uh, you know, you can listen to all sorts of stuff from the Radio Misfits podcast, Galaxy of Podcasts, um, including, uh, you know, the aforementioned Caffeinated Comics, where they, uh, they celebrated Harley Quinn's 25th birthday. And I remember seeing that on, on TV uh, this past week, and I, I couldn't believe that Harley Quinn is that young. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny that you know, being after being created on the Batman animated series, she you take Harley Quinn, who was created. Oh, she, she was she was actually originally on the animated series. I guess that yeah. timing would be about right. Yeah. Yeah. She was created on Batman, the animated series, and then made this transition in the comics. Um, the only other character I can think and that would be the Marvel equivalent of Harley Quinn would be Firestar. Firestar, who started on Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and then would later transition to the comic books. So, um, you know, Harley Quinn really is the Firestar of of, of, of the DC comics. That's, yeah, that's that's what the kids say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, Minutia Men, uh, they they touched on a a story that uh, I know was on uh, the Gary Meyer podcast. Sorry, not on the Radio Misfits Network. I just I just work on it. Uh, the the North Korean parking scandal, um, which uh, did did you see that story? That's amazing. The uh, the North Korean uh, delegation to the UN has racked up like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in parking tickets in New York City. Oh, I thought they had like diplomatic immunity. Isn't that what we learned from the second lethal weapon movie? Well, I think that's why the car hasn't been booted yet. <laughs> you know. Kim Jong-un to say, you stay right there, right there in that handicap spot. I come back. And then he like he disappears for, you know, hours at a time. Then he comes back all angry because Trump said something, you know, that don't make me angry. Yeah, that is actually 
I'm going to apologize now. Uh, yeah, I was about to say. The most, the most racist. <laughs> the most, but it's Kim Jong-un, folks. Come on. Yeah, I, I think Jong-un. it's okay to be racist about Kim Jong-un. <laughs> Kim Jong-un. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and folks, seriously, you were listening to that and you heard, you, you thought that's Kim Jong-un, right? You didn't think that's a racist imitation. You thought, oh, my God, that's the way he sounds. Well, that's the way he sounds in my head. He's actually a little like uh, Saddam Hussein in that I don't think anybody in the U.S. has actually heard him speak. I think you always see, like, <laughs> like file footage of him and then a, a news anchor saying what he said. Like, I you don't know, think Al- yeah, yeah, they, there's never like a video of him just talking. This is true. Al Franken, though, does a great um, Saddam Hussein imitation. Oh, I'll bet he does. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's not much demand for that anymore. (laughs) And so put my Kim Jong-un imitation next to Al Franken's Saddam Hussein imitation in the imitation of of Despots Hall of Fame. (laughs) Imitation of Despots. That's a great uh, band name. (laughs) Uh, we're, we're just scratching the surface of all the great uh, stuff on the Radio Misfits podcast network, including uh, Dan McNeil every uh, Tuesday and Thursday, I believe it is, Tuesday and Thursday. That would, that would, be, uh, that would be about right. And uh, Sheffield Beer School, that's another good one. And, uh, yeah, and, of course, always listen to them on your tweaked audio headphones. Now, uh, we, this is what uh, we call in, in the radio business a tease, since, uh, uh, Elliot, you said, you know, I'm making things all professional. Uh, we, we are going to talk about Star Trek Discovery before this episode is over. But I wanted to touch on another uh, Star Trek story that, uh, that maybe some people missed because, uh, you know, it wasn't around everywhere. Um, so Quentin Tarantino was on the Nerdist podcast back in 2015, and somehow it came up that... Yeah, he would really like to direct a Star Trek movie one day. Apparently, he's he actually is a big uh, big sci-fi fan and would really like to do Star Trek. And he was interviewed. I think maybe he was at the uh, at the Discovery premiere, and that's why it came up this week. And they actually asked him again. You know, hey, would you like to do a Star Trek movie? And he goes, Oh yeah, yeah, I'd absolutely love to do a Star Trek movie. I'm not sure that's uh, going to happen. But uh, over at Nerdist, uh, one of their producers, Ben McShane, has come up with the most amazing uh, theory in the history of fan theories. I'm not sure you're ready for this, Elliot. This I've got to hear. His theory is that Inglorious Bastards is actually the sequel to The City on the Edge of Forever. All right. All, with all due respect to the folks over at the Nerdist, who are really cool folks, and I'm, I don't know any of them personally, but I've been I've been following them forever, and I'm a big fan. That is the stupidest theory I've ever heard. <laughs> well, you know, I, I can I can see the the logic that he's following. That you know, this is obviously spoiler alert uh, for those of you who haven't seen Inglorious Bastards. Uh, first of all, I'm not the biggest uh, Tarantino fan, and I, th- I, think it's, uh, I think it's a very good movie. Uh, even the history geek in me, uh, you know, at the end was saying, wait a minute, that didn't happen. But, you know, still, it, it's, it's a really good movie for, you know, for, for what it is. And, um, yeah, I, 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 I could see the logic that, uh, okay, so obviously there's, a, there's an ending that uh, is obviously, an, you know, I don't think he'd put this much, uh, 
you know, like techno babble behind it, but it's definitely an alternate reality, uh, you could say. So, I mean, yeah, I can see where where he's coming from, but um, there's absolutely nothing in that movie that would tie it to the city on the edge of forever. No, no because if anything was the, the whole thing with uh, Joan Collins' character in City of the Edge of Forever is that if she lives... She alters the timeline so that the Third Reich actually wins World War II. But and and spoiler death, alert, that doesn't happen in Inglorious Bastards. Right. That doesn't yeah, that doesn't happen. If anything, Inglorious Bastards, which actually is one of my favorite Tarantino movies, um, if you get past the ending, which even at the beginning of Inglorious Bastards, it says once upon a time. So it's 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 a fantasy, it's a fairy tale. And the end of Inglorious Bastards really diverges from what history, what occurred in history. And I will say the thing about Inglorious Bastards that I really, really enjoyed was, and the reason I, I like um, a lot of the, the one thing about Tarantino get, get gets lost about him is that, yes, everyone's focuses so much on the language in his movies that people, you know, drop drop F-bombs left and right in those films. And they use the N-word a lot, you know, or at least when Samuel L. Jackson is there, much to the chagrin of Denzel Washington. Um, (laughs) That's right. But um, yeah, because, you know, remember, Denzel Washington had it out with Samuel L. Jackson on the set of uh, not Samuel L. Jackson with Quentin Tarantino on the set of Crimson Tide. Right. Right. he was he was and, called on set to do um, um, a little script polishing. You know, and by, by the way, the, the you know the the scenes in Crimson Tide, like you know, I, I've sort of learned over the years what those scenes actually are that he he did touch up, like especially the the scene where they're all around the the table talking about war. I, right. I believe that war that was the stallions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and like a you can tell like the dialogue is is really good in those scenes. Mm-hmm. And there's no language in him, so it's not like mm-hmm. it's not like he has to do that. That's you know, he he can he can get by without uh, dropping the f bomb as a comma, exactly, or the n word, or the n word, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And the performances of the of the actors in his films are really good. Um, it, well, at least in most of them. Um, uh, in Glorious Bastards, everyone is brilliant in that one. Um, um, Pulp Fiction, a lot of folks really don't realize how good you know the performances of Uma Thurman and um and John Travolta and Eric Stoltz you know Bruce Willis is kind of phoning phoning it in but whatever um but you know Tarantino is a really good director he gets really good performances out of his actors except for himself he sucks as an actor he's horrible as an actor when he shows up in his own movies it takes me out of the movie it's like it's, it's his acting is just so bad but but yeah <laughs> You know, but he does write really good dialogue. So the see, idea see that's of, why that's why Kevin Smith is so brilliant because he's in his own movies, but he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything, right? And and Ben Affleck cannot act his way out of a paper bag in a in a in a Kevin Smith movie. No, no, you know, Ben all. Affleck. Yeah, Ben Affleck himself is a really good actor. Um, when he's like in a Sidney Pollock movie, you know, when he was in Changing Lanes, you know, with uh, that, that doesn't he was incredible in that movie. Um, when he's uh, when he's even in his own movies, <laughs> like uh, like Argo or um, or um, or um, 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 the one uh, the one uh, where they're the the bank robbers in Boston and they rob uh, uh, Fenway Park. I forgot the name. The town. Yeah, right? I, I literally I was drawing a blank on that one too. Yeah, right. the town. So he's yeah. So when when Ben Affleck even directs himself, he's a really good actor. 
but he's horrible when someone else doesn't. But uh, when Kevin Smith uh, directs him, but Ke- you know, Quentin Tarantino is very good at directing actors and getting really good performances out of them. And if he if he wrote really snappy dialogue, see, I can see, I can actually see Quentin Tarantino doing a Star Trek movie and being able to handle that rapid fire techno babble that goes on in a Star Trek film. You know, and, and being able to write it in a way where it's it's actually entertaining to hear the like let's say let's say you had a captain and a science officer and a helmsman on the bridge of a ship and they're having a back and forth about the problem that they're encountering. I could see Tarantino writing some really really cool dialogue about that. So um, you know, but yeah, no, I'm sorry, uh, Glorious Bastards, no no effing way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Like I, like I said, I, I can I can see the the logic he's trying to employ there, but there's absolutely nothing to like connect the two, and um, you know the ending should be very different if Inglorious Bastards is uh, is taking place in what we'll call the Keeler timeline. Right. Um, eh. No, that's a reach. That's a major reach. Uh, so I I think that uh, you know if, if you were. Dealing with uh, something where you were, uh, you had the Federation at war. Uh, Quentin Tarantino would be very good, and that just so happens to be what we have with uh, with Star Trek Discovery. And I think that um, I, I don't know if it was because it was just the you know it was just the introduction, but I felt like um, you know Star Trek Discovery really it, it had like it, you could tell it was influenced by all of the uh, all the the various TV incarnations of of Star Trek. You know, like there there were things in there from uh, from the original series uh, because uh, you know the, the the ship at the beginning was is supposed to be a, a science vessel, um, and you know re- really the way that the captain carries herself like that that's you know to to me that it seemed it, it seemed like Gene Roddenberry would would appreciate that. Um, and, and, but, but, but really the, the thing you'd probably, at least I would compare it to the most would be Deep Space Nine, because that was really the only other time that we saw the Federation at war. I want, uh, I, for folks who have not seen Star Trek Discovery yet, and I'm, I'm hazarding there are a lot of folks who haven't yet, because if you wanted to see it and you missed it on CBS... Um, you gotta, you have to watch it on the CBS All Access app, and I know lots. I've I've already talked to several folks who have said they're gonna wait until the whole season is on CBS All Access, and then they're gonna do the free trial so they can binge watch the whole thing. And I think that might actually oh. help because uh, there were there were a couple of headlines that there was a big spike in in CBS All Access, uh, uh, you know, signups. And so if you have that at the beginning and then at the end, there's another big rush of people who get on to binge watch the whole thing. I think that'll help them realize that, hey, maybe we've got something that's worth, uh, you know, green lighting a season two. Perhaps. But uh, the, I bring this up because if you haven't seen it, I'm going to tell you right now, I want I, there's no way I can avoid spoilers because I've got opinions. I've got me some opinions. You got, you got some hot takes. Yeah, hot, no, not just hot takes, but it was. I, I, I was as I was watching um, these the first two episodes. Um, I was like, "Whoa, okay." I, I kept going back and forth, back and forth. And again, folks who've been listening to this podcast knew that I was approaching this with much trepidation. So, spoilers will be discussed. Spoilers will 
be discussed. So if you haven't watched it, bail now. If you don't want it, although I will say, you know, maybe uh, the spoilers as I, uh, I, I'll try to be not too spoilery. But there are certain things that you just cannot discuss without getting in the spoiler territory. So pause the podcast, watch the episodes, and then hit play again. And then come back. Uh, but uh, a couple things. First off, um, uh, when I was watching, when I f- watched the very first episode of Discovery, um, and it opens with uh, the scene that um, was teased already. They had already put this the scene out on um, social media and online um, the scene of, of uh, Michelle Yeoh and Sinequa Martin-Green's characters walking through the de- uh, through this desert planet and doing their whole thing. Mind you, it was a little bit more um, extended. You get more of the context of what's going on. Um, and by, and by the way, that, I had a big problem with that scene that, no, that we'll have to get into. Now, there's a lot of stuff that was going on there, okay? As I was watching this, um, I'm like, wow, are they, they're setting up this, they're setting up that. And, and here's the thing: the first two episodes of of Star Trek Discovery have this this um, are, they're all set up. I mean, you know, you do not the Discovery doesn't even appear in the first two episodes. Um, and and they, they actually uh, the the producers actually said that um, like originally episode three was basically like the pilot sort of episode, and they just um, you know at some point in the writing process. They decided that in order for you to care about what's happening in, in, you know, episode three, you have to know what happened just before episode three. Right. So Which it is, really yeah. is it really is all set up for um, for for episode three. And that, that actually makes sense because originally it was supposed to be 15 episodes and then they bumped it up to 17. So I, you know, I, I would say that was probably why they did that. And and after that, I mean, there was a there was what was happening with that, you know, again, with the first episode of, of Discovery, um, I, I was kind of like checking my brain at the door, you know, for a moment, just checking my brain. I said, just go with this, go in open minded, let let the let the episode take you along and um, and, and just see where where you go. And, and because, see, my problem is I have writer brain. And whenever I watch anything, whether it's a TV show, a movie, from reading something, my writer brain is already dissecting it and thinking, these are the choices the writer made. This is what they wanted to do with the plot. They do the double backs here, the switchbacks there, move the plot that way. What's the character doing? Does this feel true to the character? Is the character really doing something that is is um, sincere to what you think the character would do as opposed to what the plot would determine that they do. So that's all going through my brain as I'm watching this. But because I have this huge crush on Michelle Yeoh. You're you're just distracted the whole time. Yeah, I'm just distracted. I'm just distracted by the whole thing. I mean, Michelle Yeoh is gorgeous. And I love her as a strong, you know, as a strong female protagonist. And I'm like, oh, she's awesome. And I want to go along with this. And Sonequa Martin-Green, also awesome. She was doing a great job with it. And as they're walking through the desert. And I automatically liked the characters at that point. You know, there was. I, a, there I was liked nice. them, and I and I really got the sense that they liked each other. Like there wasn't anything, yes. you know. Like I, I think that's just good acting on on their part. That you know, it didn't seem like they were forced together or anything. Like like you got the sense that these characters really liked each other. Absolutely, 
And if you want me to go along with the story, I need you to get me to like the characters. If you can establish the characters in a manner where I, I care about them, where I, I'm, I'm, I, I want to see them succeed, then you can do flub. You can flub things with the plots and motivations here and there. And, and I'm, I'm more forgiving of that. So if I'll give Discovery this, it did. It established very well the characters, and I cared about them. I cared about Michael Burnham. That's uh, Sadiqa Martin Green's character. Um, you know, uh, I wanted. And then there's a scene where she decides to investigate the the hidden, as we'll find out, the hidden Klingon vessel in the suit, in the cool space suit, which made me think of what. Star Trek, the motion picture. Right. Except, you know, in, in the same problem that, uh, you know, the, uh, the the Star Wars prequels had, the suit looked cooler in, in this case, yes. which is which is funny because it's, you know, it, it's 10 years ahead of the original series. But so, since we're moving a little bit ahead, I want to talk about my problem with that first scene. Yeah. Um, so so they're they're on this planet where there's apparently this dust storm that's going to engulf the planet for 89 years. Right. Right. And uh, so so that's obviously an issue. And that's why they you know, they don't have line of sight with the ship and everything. So how is drawing a big Starfleet Delta in the sand going to uh, help the ship find them when there's obviously a big dust storm coming in? Because, like, I, I don't know if that's writer brain, like you were saying, or if that's just oh, like, yeah, no, that like was total writer science brain. geek yeah. brain. That's yeah. No, so you were using science geek brain and writer brain was going, oh, that's poetic license brain. You know, yeah, that's like the whole. Oh, yeah, well, she couldn't have written S.O.S. Because that would have been no, no, no she had yeah. to write. A, yeah, it's like S.O.S. Know. would have involved so many turns that uh, that uh, Burnham <laughs> would have noticed. Right. So it's like the whole, you know, you're in the writer's room. You go, okay, we need a really cool visual here. What are they doing? You know, oh, yeah. Right. And, and I think yeah. I think that, that was like, all right, we're going to show that the this is Star Trek right here. This, this <laughs> yeah. is the big, the big unveil. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was it. And then again, you know, there was a point where I was going, okay, this this show is trying to appeal to more of my emotional reactions, not so much my intellectual. Um, and and it was kind of you could you could see how it was kind of flip flopping back and forth between the two, and um, and 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 all oh, and the whole bit, you know, um, I don't know uh, how many different references you caught, you know, in this, but you know. The, the whistle, you know, the, the, the whistle when the captain hits the bridge, that's straight out of uh, the classic series. Yeah, we, which um, they also did in, uh, in the, you know, the J.J. Abrams reboot. That's one, of the first, Abrams. Uh, that's one of the first sounds you hear there, too. Yeah. But you expect that, right? Yeah. Um, the, the fact that, you know, Michelle Yeoh's character keeps referring to her second in command as number one, which is something from the, you know, to next generation. Um, because I've never heard in any other series a captain refer to their first officer as number one. Um, well, except they, for the the cage, because the cage, right? Well, right, the cage. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, and and even a little nod to classic battle, the the Battlestar Galactica reboot, where you know the the ship that they were on was an old Starfleet ship. You know, wasn't even one of the fancy new ones. You know. 
Uh, it was it's one of the older ships, just like the Galactica was an older battle star that was being yeah. ready to be retired. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cute. I don't know if they meant that intentionally or that's a trope that's in science fiction, you know, for that everyone knows. Um, and oh, wait, the uh, the bit where uh, Michael Burnham is uh, discussing with the computer whether it should let her out of the brig or not. Because it lets, because she'll die if it keeps her in the brig. Uh, asking it an, an ethical question, it's ethical programming. Which, um, if anyone, so, total science fiction nerd like me, if you ever saw the movie Dark Star, exact same thing happens in that movie, where a captain, uh, a guy, has to argue with uh, a bomb that's going to detonate, and he gets into a, an ethical, uh, he gets into a, a logical uh, argument with the bomb, trying <laughs> to convince it that it shouldn't blow itself up. Uh, so, I, I think may, I, I, that, that's something I might have to check out now. Yeah. I flashed back to that movie. I remember seeing that movie when I was a kid. And it's one of the best scenes from that film. It's like a, it's a dark, dark Star. These guys are um, they're like a garbage men in space. And their job is essentially to go to different areas of space and blow stuff up. You know, they're like, you know, they're blowing up, you know, um, waste or, you know, stars and shit. You know, Isn't and that how uh, Hitchhiker's up. Guide to the Galaxy started? Kind of, yeah. yeah. And then what do they do? You know, then there's one, this bomb is activated and the guys know they can't disengage it from the ship. So they're going to die. So the captain goes and has a, you know, a, a discussion with it, talks to it. Well, you can't do that. Why not? Well, because of this. Well, maybe if I do this, no, because of that. And then the bomb goes, oh, I should think about that. And then... It, Decide, <laughs> you know. But, so, but then, if it doesn't blow itself up, it hasn't done its job as a bomb. There you go, and that's what Dennis Hopper would have said in Speed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> quick quiz, hot shot. Quick quiz. You know, your job is to keep a bomb from being. <laughs> I, so I believe so it was that, called I, the bomb, or the bus that couldn't slow down. So. So, you know, I'm guessing when you're in that writer's room for Star Trek Discovery, they're pulling stuff from all different um, science fiction, you know, not only from Star uh, Star Trek, but from, you know, from other science fiction um, uh, movies that they, the, the writers in that room might have seen. It made me think of that. And, and so knowing that, I was very forgiving of Star Trek Discovery to a point. Um, by the, by the way, one of the things that, uh, Ed, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this was just me or if it was something that other people noticed as well, but I got the sense that, uh, the, the Klingon prosthetics that they came up with were, uh, extremely elaborate and it seemed like all of them had a really tough time talking through them. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Definitely. So that wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you're talking to a guy who's worn Klingon prosthetics and Klingon makeup. Yeah, so you know from from what? Yeah, no, what I know you what speak. it's like. It's not. It's not fun. It's not fun. Um, you know, I've been I've been in the Klingon Christmas Carol, so that's it's not fun. Um, but yeah, and and so uh, yeah, a lot of folks were have taking issue with the look of the Klingons and what was going on. Again, this is ten years before. Uh, the James T. Kirk and the Enterprise took off on their five-year mission. I didn't realize that the Klingon War was that recent. And 
I'm like, wait, the, is there a time when James T. Kirk was involved in the Federation Klingon War? Because well, you'd I'm have like, to think that the that the that the timeline you know isn't all that different because he would have been born at the same time as you know the Abrams in the original timeline. Yeah. So so he's he's a teenager at that point, right? Yeah, but then but then you have this whole thing that he has he has his mat on for the Klingons in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. So you know, so it's like what is he okay, where you know, James T. Kirk had to have had some combat experience in all this. You know, he had to have served on a ship somewhere where he fought Klingons. Maybe not as a captain, but you know Well, we don't know that he didn't. Yeah. So I'm there going, what? You know, that, that's why I kept thinking they're really bumping up this whole, you know, contact with the Klingons after 100 years. Ten, if, again, if they're holding the timeline, 10 years before the, the, the Enterprise of the five-year mission. And here's the thing. You go from uh, 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 first, you know, first contact in 100 years with the civilization and war with them. In five minutes. In five minutes, and then and then you're telling me in ten years it all resolves itself, because even in ten years you still have conflict between the Federation and the Klingons. Mind you, it's not war. Well, you, you know, um, you th- think about it, we use World War II as an example. I mean, by 1950, it's not like we, you know, it, it was a it was an interesting situation because of the Soviet presence in 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 Eastern Europe, but you know, we did, we, I mean, we, we were pretty, f- actually very friendly with West Germany by that point. I mean, it's not, and, and that was a, that was a pretty big honking war. So it's not like it's, it's totally out of the question, especially if the, uh, if the solution to the end of the Klingon war was, you know, a big demilitarized zone that we weren't, you know, nobody was going to go into. seems like, you know, that could be, that could be established pretty quickly. Is that, that's the other thing that always got me. Was the neutral zone because of war with the Klingons or with the Romulans? I think there was supposed to be one in each because at, at various times, like uh, there there were there were some times where they dropped the Klingon neutral zone and the Romulan neutral Romulan zone. neutral zone. So right? I think yeah. there were two different things. But here's the thing that always uh, it, it just occurred to me one point, probably when I was in high school, that would be a big bubble, wouldn't it? Because it's yeah, space, huge. yeah. Yes, right. it, it wouldn't. Because exactly. you always think about it like the demilitarized zone, say in, in on the Korean Peninsula. You know, just a big line, but it would actually be a bubble around uh, around Klingon airspace. Right. You see that in uh, again in Wrath of Khan when um, they were doing the Kobayashi Maru in the beginning, and and uh, Savik tells you know. Uh, Spock to pilot a course into the neutral zone and do the big graphic thing. It looks like a big the, Coke can, actually. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Right. Or, yes. or actually, what, what it really looks like is the probe from Star Trek Four. Right. <laughs> a, a big, a big yeah. water heater. Like. <laughs> so, so yeah. But anywho, so then you have that whole issue going on. Don't even, and 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 you introduce a, a quote unquote big bad in the first two episodes of, of Discovery. Who you're, who's gone? I thought this guy was going to be hanging around for a while. Apparently not. Um, well, I, I actually, you know, and this is, uh, you know, part of the, the bad thing of living in the, uh, the Internet age. Um, 
you know, like, like we, we have a pretty good idea of who the main actors in this are, in the, in the story are. And um, that actor was not one of them. So I was like, was not- oh, he's, he's probably not going to be around for the whole thing. Oh, I knew that. I knew that about Michelle Yeoh when you look at the opening credits. And yeah, it said episode, special guest star. Special yeah. guest star. So you're like, oh, man, really? You made this uh, big deal and, about and, casting. And, and, and by the way, as soon as, you know, and let's uh, let's say again, spoiler alert, as soon, because they, they released the intro for uh, Star Trek Discovery like earlier in the day before the episode actually aired. But they did it without any of the text, so you just saw like the the imagery of the uh, of the intro segment with the music under it, and then uh, and I thought, oh, that's weird because I actually I, I commented to a couple people. I said, wow, this is like the first Star Trek intro with no text on it, and a couple people were like, oh, well, they'll probably add that when it airs, and sure enough, they did. And as soon as it said special guest star, I thought, oh, she's gonna die. Yep. Yep, I thought. Yep, I thought the then, exact same. And then thing. I thought of yep. uh, of our many discussions about, hey, why does the old teacher have to die? <laughs> yes, there you go. And then okay, and then here's the thing that oh okay, so let, let's flip ahead. And really, and really, that's that's on both sides because the bad guy teacher dies and the good mm-hmm. guy teacher dies. And the good guy teacher dies. And the good the bad guy teacher dies. I still don't understand why he died. You know, it was a whole thing where they were supposed to get him and capture him. And then the Michael Burnham character, like, screws up every possible thing. You know, I'm well, like, I, I got the I'm, sense that she was mad because. Uh, yeah, you know, but yeah. still, but she, she's, she was horrible. We go through this whole thing about talking about how competent and how logical she is. And then she completely goes off the rails and starts making decisions based solely on emotion and there was all this stuff going on that just made no sense to me. And I was like, okay. And then you get to the battle at the end where Michelle Yeoh is fighting the big bad. And I'm going, oh, this should be awesome because this is Michelle Yeoh. She's been in Super Cop with Jackie Chan. If anything, she's going to make William Shatner look like a chump in her <laughs> action scenes. And oh, my God, did they utterly un- – they totally – unused her they it's like they said no no just have her like swing and block and blah 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 this you have an actress who can do action scenes you can make her look like a total badass and they completely dropped the ball on that yeah yeah they 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 kind of did although you never know um she might show up in uh you know subsequent episodes in like a flashback and you know she might be teaching uh, Burnham to, to kick some ass and they might kick make better ass. use of her that way but that's about the only hope for that and then 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 of course my my major issue with uh, Star Trek Discovery which you know I'm sorry it was me this is me maybe I'm the only one who read this okay into this episode but it was the whole okay Screw negotiations. What you need to do is you need to go in guns a blazing and show the other side that you mean business. And they're going, holy crap. And that's coming from the Vulcans. That's coming from the Vulcans. <laughs> Which, by the way, I, I, I will say the thing that really I, I, I literally laughed at the image of like for 10 years or, or however long this actually lasted, like every time a Klingon ship would like jump out of warp in front of a Vulcan ship, just getting blown away. 
Like, yeah, it, it, it just really made me laugh. Like, that, like, oh, here's another Klingon ship. Better, better blow them up. Better blow them up. We got to teach them what's right. It's like, you know, the Vulcans decided to take logic to the extreme. Because if I'm going to walk in, if because, you're going to walk into a Klingon bar, you got to go up to the biggest guy and punch him in the face. So, you know, you're, you mean yeah. business. It's not the Vulcan. Hello. It's prison logic. Right. Uh, so, uh, so, so that, you know, again, I don't know if this is writer brain or, or space geek brain or something, but, uh, uh, my first thought was, okay, if you're blowing up every Klingon ship, as soon as it shows up, how do you ultimately end up getting some sort of peace agreement with them? Because you're never right. going to talk to them because you keep blowing them up. That wasn't. That wasn't Vulcan logic. That was Trump logic. <laughs> I was going, I was going, Michael Burnham was thinking like Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, don't negotiate. You got to go in and show him who's boss. You got to, you know, boom. And then she like friggin' like, you know, b- pr- pretty much performs mutiny on the ship and is ready to like to start a war with the Klingons just to prove a point. And I was going, Holy mackerel, what are you talking about? Well, you know, in fairness, there have been wars that have started because of such stupidity. Yeah, ah, and then, actually, so actually, most of them have started because of such stupidity. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. But then this is what happens. In the, and then I'm watching this episode and I'm like, oh, look, the writer room in 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 Discovery. You, you saw that this pretty much the discovery writer room give michael burnham an out because they because starfleet didn't shoot first now we're gonna make the klingons shoot and destroy everyone to prove her right you know oh look see now the klingons are attacking us out of nowhere so so uh, what i'm supposed to assume is that had you know they fired first then the klingons wouldn't have attacked which is a really huge freaking assumption you're asking me to make because you've pretty much given the Klingons justification for blowing away the star, you know, all those Starfleet ships because you fired first. So you're, you know, again, you're asking me to accept the huge, take a huge leap here in in character, you know, assuming character motivations were correct or that's what would have happened in that case when everything in my head is going, no, no, that's that's not the way people work. That's not the way human nature is. That's not the way the world or the universe works. You can't just say I'm going to punch in the middle of war. Taking the first shot is what stops a war. That 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 just I was like, no, that that doesn't work. And, and yet, uh, you know, it might uh, surprise people listening. You liked Star Trek Discovery. We both liked Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> it's true. I did like it. And at the end, I was like, okay, that's. I thought it was kind of clever. Well, I went it along for the ride. But then here's. But then wait. But then wait. Hold on. Well, I, I would for for me, I would I would compare it to the uh, the Battlestar Galactica miniseries where you know yeah there was uh, there were some uh, some holes there, but at the end I was really interested to see what happened next. Yes. No. Absolutely. Because I remember. The Battlestar Galactica miniseries was panned online. Okay. I remember um, Harry Knowles, who right now is not um, uh, very well liked on, 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 on the internet right now. Harry Knowles <laughs> utterly panned the Battlestar Galactica miniseries 
on Ain't It Cool News when uh, in the beginning. He did not like it at all. And then everyone watched it. And I remember watching it myself and actually going, you know what? It's actually it's, it's pretty good. I enjoyed it. I thought it had proper nods to the original um, series. I actually cared about the characters. I thought it was well done. Um, I thought it was a great setup for a new series. Now, going back to Star Trek Discovery, where, you know, I, I think for the most part, it's gotten a lot of positive reviews. People for them, you know, for the most part, have liked it. They've enjoyed it. Yeah, there have been some issues like like we have our issues here as well. But some folks have had issues. And yes, I've even had on my social media pages, some of uh, my fellow Star Trek fan nerds um, talking about, oh, I hated that. Oh, there was too much talking. Oh, that made no sense. Oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, that sort of thing. You're going to find that. But overall, it's been positively received. And I've kind of, after the first two episodes, enjoyed it. Okay. But here comes the Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> the big butt. Um, the total premise that they spend two episodes establishing, boom, thrown out the window. We are completely going in a different direction with this character and what her situation is in the third episode. I'm like going, what? What? You, 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 you mean, you mean the fact that she's, uh, she's basically in prison. She's basically a convict. She's a right. space convict. That, that, that was something that, that um, you know, and, and I guess we'll, we'll have to see in, in episode three and, and beyond what, what, where they're going with it. But that was something that, that really seemed kind of tacked on. Remember when we, we kept hearing over and over again that Star Trek Discovery was not going to be about the captain. Remember? And we kept saying, well, what are they going to do? Is it going to be about the first officer? Is it going to be about the engineer? Is it going to be about, you know, the crew, someone in the bottom? No, it's essentially the janitorial team. Well, I you assume know? that I assume that. Uh, well, yeah, that that's actually a really good, good question, because, again, we don't know what they're going to do next, because, you know, I had assumed that at some point in the story, she's going to become the first officer of the Discovery. Um, I don't know. After that episode, after the preview for the next episode, it looks like she's just like swapping. She's just sweeping the decks, you know. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> you know, like I, I, I guess I hadn't uh, thought that 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 far ahead. Like I just assumed that that's actually going to be her arc in the story. Is you know, eventually she's probably fairly early on. She's going to redeem herself in the eyes of uh, in the eyes of Lucius Malfoy, and he's going to uh, make her. <laughs> Make her the first officer in, in much the same way where uh, Kirk sort of randomly became the first officer of the Enterprise in the Star Trek reboot. Uh, you know, just like one minute he's a cadet who's who might get expelled or something. And the next minute he's the first officer, you know, sort of the same thing. Yeah, but he didn't like commit mutiny and then like, you know, break every regulation of Starfleet. Yeah, and yeah he, 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 he pulled a prank. That's, that's all he did. He, <laughs> yeah. waste, he wasted an instructor's time because he had already <laughs> taken the Kobayashi Maru test twice before. So it's not like this one really mattered. So yeah, I, you know, I think the guy could cheat on the third try and it, it really isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> you know, that's not really the kind of thing that keeps you from becoming a captain or no. president. You know, <laughs> No, no, of course not. So, so 
Yeah, so I'm like, okay. There's a big difference there between that and causing a war with the Klingons. Right! Which, which in, in, according to the promo for episode three, has already cost 6,800 lives. Right, because she, like, because she insists on investigating this, again, the Klingon artifact, and she, I mean, again, I'm sorry, Prime Directive? Should you be landing on something that you don't know what it is, thus setting off uh, a chain reaction of events that leads you to killing um, uh, uh, an alien, uh, a member of an alien race that you haven't had contact with for a hundred years, and after that leads to the war? I mean, she pretty much started the Klingon war because she wanted to, you know, get up close to something which isn't something that a, a Vulcan using logic would do you know so that's that's just trump logic right there trump <laughs> or you know uh maybe you know uh sarah sanders you know what's her name sarah, sarah huckabee sanders uh, sarah huckabee sanders that's mike Starr. sarah huckabee sanders sarah huckabee sanders uh logic but yeah but yes, and even despite all that, I still enjoyed the show. And I want to watch this. I, I, I am looking forward to the third episode. I want to see where this goes next. Um, the, the, on the plus side, I will say, incredible production um, design on this show. Uh, I, I, um, even yeah, though... Especially because we talked about this, I think, uh, last week and, and, and probably previously as well, that my concern was that because it was a a show that was going to be on the digital platform was that it would have the, the look and quality of, uh, of the Battlestar Galactica blood and chrome web series that they did. And, uh, which was not good. And, no. uh, and no, I mean, th this is, this is better produced than a lot of stuff that's actually on the air. I, I will say, um, the, the, the production values on this, uh, we're closer to, uh, the, uh, as you said, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek stuff far outdid anything we saw on Next Generation. I mean, if you want to see Next Generation production values, watch the um, the, the Seth MacFarlane show, The Orville, um, which, which is it looks just like Next Generation, you know, 80s and 90s type SFX, you know, and, and yeah, you have a lot of people who are saying that they think the Orville is a better Star Trek show than Discovery, which to me is the dumbest like, thing. It's, yeah, except they were saying that before it even aired. Yeah, <laughs> which again, the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But, um, and, 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 and it, it was closer to film. You can tell that they are, you know, putting everything in there because the. Oh, by the way, I've already gotten the press release for the Blu-ray and DVD release of the entire Star Trek Discovery um, collection. Um, you know, when when the series is done, so they're already looking towards that, and um, you know, it, it it looks incredible. I'll give it that. It looks incredible, and you talk about that opening credit scene. I loved it. I simply loved it. I thought it felt it, like it had like a Ralph McQuarrie art, you know, mm -hmm. sort of look to it. Oh, it was, and I'm sorry. I'm, as much as I love Scott Bakula and the work he did on Enterprise, that theme on Enterprise is one of the worst themes ever. So the the you know them bringing back the more classic orchestral type theme music where even the director says you know he puts the touch the homage to the alexander courage 
original Star Trek theme. It, I loved it. It's just, it's just it felt like Star Trek. So um, it, it, I'll say this for all the bumps and you know the issues I have with it. Um, the start of Star Trek Discovery, the beginning of this particular series, is already better than any other Star Trek series I've seen. Yeah, you know, most of them, you know, I, I think by by the time they got to, you know, like like Voyager and, and Enterprise, like they, they had it kind of down to a, you know, it was sort of a factory floor at that point. But, uh, you know, uh, the next generation and even uh, the DS9 to a certain extent, like they, they actually had to find their way for for a season or two before they actually hit their stride. And this, you, you get the feeling like they, they know where they're going with it and uh, they've got a pretty good idea of how to get there. I will say, though, it gave me, it gave me pangs of longing to see a story by Brian Fuller right there in the credits in the beginning. You know, it's kind of like when you see, uh, I don't know, this, this happens to you. It's happened to me a lot. You know, you, you find a note from an, an ex-girlfriend who you really liked and you wish it worked out, but you know she's gone, but there it is, uh, a reminder of what could have been, you know? Brian, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'm sorry for what I did, but could could you come back? Could you come back to us? We'll, we'll treat you better this time. He's not coming back, Elliot. <laughs> Damn Vulcans. <laughs> the proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gabatron.